0: What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today,
1: talking about narrative, talking about narrative driven games, and we're talking to a person that I consider to be a master of narrative narrative driven games, one of my favorite designers, designer of one of my favorite games, Nikki Valens. Nikki, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, super excited to talk to you. Again, you're, you're one of my one of my favorites. When, when I think about uh, people that I kind of want to be more like, you know, there's all the, the, the great designers out there you know, that have been around for a long time. You're one of the ones that, like, the games you make, I'm just super impressed with. And they're, they're the kind of games that I enjoy, that I like to play, that I like to design, especially if they've got the cool story stuff going on, the cool systems that you've created for these different games. So I'm excited to hear your thoughts, your ideas, your processes for how you create these games. But before we get into that kind of stuff, give me your bio. Who are you? How would you get into game design? That kind of thing.
2: Uh, so I've been thinking about game design for a very long time. Uh, when I was basically a little kid, I just started thinking about different types of games and how I would make them myself or how I would change games that I played to improve them and how I wanted those games to be, for instance. Um, but I've always kind of been into board games and card games. Uh, my family was, uh, very much a gaming family. So, I grew up playing lots of different card games and board games and got into Magic the Gathering and Dungeons and Dragons quite early. Uh, and aside from that, just into video games as well. And decided after high school that I wanted to pursue that part of my life and just went to school for video game design and development. Uh, but as fate would have it I ended up in board games instead which I'm actually quite fond of I think that they lead much better into social dynamics uh, and fun interactions with your friends and family than video games can
1: yeah very cool and so tell me so you worked at fantasy flight for quite a while how did that job come about? like I know a lot of people out here out there listening to the show want to get into the industry they want to work full-time they want to work for a major publisher like how did that happen
2: uh, so I'd been working on a sort of a homebrew RPG system for a while and just kind of looking for various opportunities to design games. And I saw that they were hiring a new, for a new position, for a designer position. And I just thought to myself, I can probably do that. And I submitted my resume and my my other information and I decided, you know what, I'll just send them this book that I've been working on, this RPG book that I've been working on. Clearly they liked what they saw and picked me up.
1: Awesome. Very cool. So I didn't, I didn't realize that they would even do that. Do they still do that kind of thing where they put out and they say, Hey, we need new game designers. and They just hire through resumes. I mean, they, they have their
2: listings on their website. Yeah. I think they now, nowadays they're large enough. That they hire from within a lot if they're able to, but they're definitely still going to be listing job openings when they have them.
1: Yeah. Very cool. All right. So there you go. Anybody listening to this that wants to work for fancy flight or someone equivalent, just keep looking at their job postings on their website because sometimes they might post the dream job that, uh, that works out for you. That's really awesome. And so, but now you're doing a freelance thing, right? So recently you, you kind of decided to go off on your own. And so how, how has that been? How's it been just kind of doing the freelance side of things in comparison?
2: Yeah. So that was almost a year ago now, um, that I just decided to kind of strike out on my own and make some different things. Uh, so far, it's been pretty cool. I've been working on some different types of games that I wouldn't have gotten to work on with FFG. Uh, specifically, one is the expansion for Fog of Love that I got to work on, which I was really excited about. That I think I get to bring a unique experience to certain types of games because of uh, my gender and my sexuality and stuff. And I think it's important for those types of things to show up in games more often these days uh, because there's just not a ton of representation for those aspects of our lives and our culture.
1: Yeah, very cool. That's awesome. Well, I'm super excited for you. I'm excited to see what you you have coming down the road. I'm, I'm sure you have several games you know that, that are signed that you probably can't even talk about right now uh, that are hopefully be coming out over the next year or two. Because again, like I said, I, I love the stuff you've been doing. I'm excited to see what you come up with now that you're not in that kind of FFG box, so to speak, where you can go off and do these different types of projects and different angles. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, Quirky Circuits is another one that's actually coming out sometime later this year. It should be maybe around Gen Con it might be coming out. I know it's uh, going to be playable at Gen Con, uh, but that one is a cooperative uh, action programming game okay. of sorts, uh, which is kind of this cute little, you know, controlling some robots, doing some should be simple tasks, but the game mechanics themselves are going to make that difficult for you. But it's a fun little social game.
1: Awesome. I look forward to it. Well, hey, let's jump into the topic at hand. We're talking about narrative, talking about narrative-driven games. And you've designed... Some amazing ones. Just the, the few that, that I really want to dive into, but this one Eldritch Horror, Mansions of Madness, and Legacy of Dragonhold. Three really cool, very much narrative-driven games. And so I want to get into that just a second, but first give me your like definition. Like what do you think of when someone says a narrative-driven game, how do you define that? So I mean it's
2: it's pretty much what it's what it says on the tin. Uh you're talking about a a game and a story where the driving factor, the driving force of that experience is the narrative as opposed to the mechanics of the game. So likely that's going to be something that's uh, very story based or maybe very character based Um, and the stories about those characters or of whatever plot that is, is what is moving the the game forward as opposed to uh, simply showing you new mechanics or uh, having the mechanics evolve over time. It's more about the story and the narrative.
1: Yeah, very cool. Now, you mentioned just a moment ago that you kind of got your start in the RPG world, and so is that was that just a natural transition to go from the RPG into the kind of the board game version of an RPG in, in this kind of scenario? Pretty much.
2: Uh, I've always been really fascinated with just storytelling, especially character-driven storytelling, uh, and role-playing is... Just such a great way to do that. You get to, you know, work together with other players in your GM to tell these stories about who your characters are and and how they interact with their world. And it's very similar doing that as a designer for narrative games. Uh, I effectively get to create characters and tell a story about them and about how they react to different situations and, and the world and create. Uh, a situation where I can present those characters for other players to be able to control them uh, and play as them. And in some cases make their own characters or bring their own experiences to those characters, uh, lives and stories.
1: Yeah. Very cool. Now, would you also consider yourself to be a writer? Cause I feel like you, you just the games you create, you, you do a lot of writing already. Do you do all like, do you do other writing on the side, like fiction or anything like that?
2: Uh, I do some. So a lot of the writing that is in Mansions or Eldritch, uh, especially a lot of the writing in Dragon Holt I did. Uh, I consider myself more of a character writer than a than any other kind of writer. Um, i I get most excited and most inspired by being able to really design out what a character is like and how they act. Uh, and I can, use my experience with role playing to essentially get into character, and I can just write as I would expect that character to act. So that's a lot easier way for me to write, Um, whereas something that's more divorced from uh, character-driven stories specifically, I'm, I'm not quite as good at, but I can still do it.
1: Yeah. Gotcha. Well, what do you think is the appeal? Like, why do so many people love these games? If you look at the top 100, top 200 of BGG, so many of those games are very, very narrative-driven, very much story-driven games. RPGs are super popular, more popular today than ever before. D&D has just had a resurgence of popularity. What is it about these story-driven games that just draws people in? Um, It's a good question. I think it's probably a little different person-to-person, but one of the biggest factors
2: is very likely that people just want to be told a good story like books and fables and movies and tv shows all of these different media forms have told stories for as long as they've existed that's their entire purpose Uh, and those are the largest forms of entertainment that we as a species have access to Uh, so it's very clear that telling stories and being told stories is just something that we as a species enjoy doing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like games provide a really cool juxtaposition of telling and being told at the same time. Like if I want to be told a story, I'll go, I'll go to a movie, right? I'll go watch something or I'll pick up a book and read a really cool story. If I want to tell a story, then you know I can write my own or I can, you know, come up with my own thing and tell my kids and things like that. But with games I can do both, right? I can experience this story, but I also get to make choices and decisions that affect the narrative or affect the story, affect how things play out. And my die rolls or my card plays—they're going to affect how the story ends up. So I think it's this really cool place there in the middle where I can do both at the same time. Have you have you found that to be the case with with your own games or with you know people you play games with that they just really love that that spot right in the middle where they get to be a part of a story but also kind of uh, have a say in how it goes?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's very much the The interaction is what makes it a game as opposed to simply writing a book or reading a book for instance you're you're getting to have both pieces of it you write part of it and then another player writes another part of it and you work together to create this story so it's not just the writing or the experiencing of the story but it's also the the social interaction
1: yeah, definitely. Now, I know with a lot of people listening to this, they're they're newer to game design. They haven't maybe been doing it for a long time. And I get the same email over and over again of people saying, where do I start? Where do I begin? How in the world do I even get this, these ideas out of my head and like actually, st- you know, start it into turning into a game maybe one day down the road? No, no time soon. But like, where do I begin? And so with these games, I mean, typically they're they're pretty big because with a lot of writing, a lot of the big word count, a lot of stuff going on. So, tell me about your process as far as like where do you start when you're just sitting down to think, okay, I want to make this game, where do you begin?
2: Uh, So, there's a lot of different ways to go about it. Uh, One way that you can do it is to start with the idea of a story that you want to tell. And then from there, you can figure out what is the role of the player and what aspects of the story do they get to tell you instead of the designer of it telling the story. the, the other way would be that you start with a mechanic. If you have a mechanical idea for something that you want a game to be about, you can start there and then develop a story on top of it that plays well with those mechanics. But for narrative-driven games specifically, it's, it probably leans more toward the what type of a story do you want to tell. Um, but both things are, are very important, and I think the best... Narrative driven games are those that start a little bit on both sides and they find a cohesion between the mechanics and the storytelling and the entire game builds out from there and the story develops based on what is possible and what both the players and the designer want from this experience.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you begin with the story and then you just start trying to figure out, okay, what mechanisms will integrate with this to kind of propel the story along? Yeah, pretty much. Gotcha. Very cool. And so like when you were working on Eldritch Horror, and this was, this was a day or two ago, a year or two ago that this was a, that you're working on this game. And so like, if if you remember vividly you know what was the process of you like integrating those mechanisms because it has a kind of a D &D style thing where you say i want to do this thing okay now i have to roll the dice to see if it happens to see if i'm successful and so like what was what was the process of kind of integrating those skill check mechanisms with the story you know the cards and everything going on
2: so before i answer that one let me ask you this yeah do you view Eldritch Horror as being a narrative-driven game in a similar capacity to something like Mansions of Madness?
1: I I do not in the same capacity because Mansions of Madness is more on rails, whereas Eldritch Horror is like this big sandbox that I don't really know what's going to happen. And so Mansions of Madness is is kind of, because of the app, it, it makes it much more cohesive, whereas Eldritch Horror, the narrative... I have to fill in the, the gaps, so to speak, kind of like, cause I might be over here in Africa and this thing happens. And then over here in South America, this totally different thing happens, you know? And so you kind of have to fill in some of the story gaps. So I see them similar, but definitely not, not the same.
2: Okay. Um, so I think of Eldritch Horror as a narrative game for sure, but I don't necessarily consider it a narrative driven game. Ah, Okay. Uh, and the differentiation there that I'm making is the mechanics and how you win and lose that game are sort of at the forefront of the player's mind as they're playing it. Uh, the decisions they make are based on how do I how do I optimize our strategy toward winning this game or at least doing the best that we can if we know that we're likely to lose very soon. Uh, and that's not necessarily true of all players, of course. There might be players that are, you know, just playing to have Whatever cool experiences that their characters can have, uh, regardless of the the win or loss of that particular game. But for the most part, I feel like it's it's the focus and the mechanics that is driving that game forward. That said, Eldritch Horror is obviously still very narrative as a game. You are playing as a character. You get to role play as that character. Your decisions are informed by your character's strengths and weaknesses and the things that you need to do according to the story. But ultimately, the, the game progresses due to the mechanics and not necessarily due to the story itself or the choices of the characters in the story.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. And something I hadn't really taken into account up until now is that you can have a narrative game that's not a narrative-driven game and, and like you're saying because you you draw cards and things happen there's really cool text really cool little anecdotes and stories that you kind of get to experience but at the end of the day it's roll some dice and try to succeed and if you do something good happens if you if you don't something bad happens but either way it's not like changing the story overall in any way that's that's a really interesting way to look at it now when you did Mansions of Madness was it kind of a progression of wanting to make it more uh, story driven or, or narrative driven Um, A little bit. Going into it,
2: we knew that we wanted Mansions to be more story-driven than Eldritch's. Uh, Mansions originally comes from much closer to the role-playing aspects of of tabletop gaming, uh, because it's based originally on the Call of Cthulhu RPG. Mm -hmm. So going into the second edition design and what we learned from the first edition design, we knew that we wanted to be about the characters, about the story that was taking place. And the mechanics can kind of fall to the background, but the mechanics still very much support the narrative that's being told. Um, So in that one, I would say it's even more likely that the players are wanting to role play as those characters. Uh, And for anyone that's not familiar, Mansions and Eldritch are in the same universe. You play as basically the same characters uh, who are called investigators, and they are the same uh, cast of characters that you get to choose from in both Mansions and Eldritch, uh, but they have their own backstories and their own, you know, interests and weaknesses and strengths that you, as a player, can you know read about and kind of get into character and uh, play up who those characters are. You can add your own flourishes to them, but also the story of uh, each individual session of Mansions is a, a self-contained story on its own, where there is uh, a murder has occurred, or there's some mysterious cult doing something in a town or whatever mystical uh, mysterious stuff that there is. But the, the story is really what's driving that the progress of the game forward. You're moving around, you're exploring a mansion or the town or wherever it is that you are, you're talking to uh, other characters, non-player characters, and learning more information about what is happening. And as the game progresses, time itself moves forward within the storyline, uh, within the, the world of the game. Uh, so it's more the, the story and the interactions the characters have with the world that propels the game forward, as opposed to simply the mechanics. And the mechanics are there to uh, bolster that story, to support it and give it a more, uh, more weight and tension as a story.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the mechanics also separate it from being just a choose your own adventure style novel where you're just saying, I want to do this and then reading. Uh, but you actually have some some chance and some die rolls and some luck and some different things you can mitigate and change and all that. It kind of makes it more into a game. But speaking of, of mechanics, what's your process of like adding these mechanics to the game and kind of figuring them out and integrating them into the game? So it does support the story and it works like what, what is your basically what's your mechanism process?
2: Um, It it depends a little bit on where I'm starting from and what the type of a story it is that I'm trying to tell. Uh, So with Mansions, because it was a second edition, I was starting with some mechanics already known that I wanted to include. Uh, For instance, I knew I wanted to include dice in some capacity. Uh, I knew that there should be monsters there that would have mechanical difference to other parts of the story. Um, and we knew that we wanted there to be map tiles, for instance, and you would move around those map tiles. Those were all things that were kind of locked in from the very beginning. Uh, and likewise, the app was a a known quantity from the beginning of the second edition design. That's something we knew we wanted to, to work with in order to enhance the narrative and the mechanics that, uh, as much as we could. Um, so in, in that. Case in Mansion's case, there was a lot of things that were known going into it, and it was just about working with those individual pieces and figuring out what was the best way to accomplish uh, our goals. So, for instance, if I take the dice as an example, um, the Mansion's Madness first edition, its dice mechanic was essentially just a d10 that you would uh, be checking against a certain skill number on your character and if you managed to roll below your skill so that your higher skill value was a good thing for you you would succeed on that check otherwise you would fail uh, and that's simple enough and it, it gets its job done i wanted something a little bit more robust for second edition so we moved to a custom die uh mechanic and what that is for anyone that doesn't know is we've essentially got these eight-sided dice where three sides are success symbols and two sides are uh, investigation symbols and then the remaining three sides are all blanks and one of the reasons I wanted to do this is it allows for more granularity in success and failure which in terms of telling a story gives us a lot more room to tell interesting parts of that story so let's say a monster comes after you and is attacking you and you are rolling three dice Your maximum possible successes is three successes, one for each die that you've rolled. Uh, But your minimum is zero because there are blanks on these dice. Um, And then there's the fun middle range of one and two successes, which are more likely to occur than either of the uh, extremes. So one or two successes, we can say like, oh, you fend off the monster a bit, but it manages to do some damage to you. Or if you rolled three successes, then it's Oh, you've you've fended off the monster, and not just that, but you've counterattacked and and done some damage to it. Or if you rolled no successes at all, something catastrophic could happen. Uh, so that's that that granularity there allows us to just do all kinds of different storytelling things, and allows us to uh, have the characters be a little bit more invested in not only the mechanics but also the story. It adds that tension and. Uh, just that little, little bit of more diversity of what could happen from any given event.
1: Yeah, what I love about that system is it makes the dice into storytellers, right? It's not just, you know, you telling the story. The dice also, in their kind of lucky, random way, become storytellers as well, and they affect things in, in different ways. And it's more than just pass-fail. It's There's different levels. There's some gray area there in the middle. Now, what did the investigation icons do?
2: Uh, so... Uh, And this also plays into the story as well. So the investigation results uh, could count as successes if you spent clues to do so. And clues are this little token resource that you get during the game. Specifically, you gain clues when you learn stuff about what is happening in the mystery in the story. So the more you investigate, the more you find out, the more you learn about what is actually happening or how to stop these monsters or how to... Put an end to whatever ritual is going on or whatever it is, you gain these clue tokens, and then using that knowledge, you are able to bolster your uh, skill checks later to reach more success.
1: Yeah, very cool. And that offers some really cool decisions where the player's like, gosh, I don't want to burn these clue tokens, but I need to in order to do this thing. I don't want this monster to eat me. And so that creates some really cool tension and drama and choices for the players to make.
2: Yeah, and and the entire point of that is also to help drive that narrative. Like, uh, you were talking about with Eldritch Horror, you kind of have to fill in some of the blanks. That's obviously still true of Mansions, although there's less blanks that you need to fill in. But certainly those times when you spend a clue to gain a success against, you know, some monster that you're fighting, you you have that moment to kind of roleplay and add in your own little flourish of storytelling of oh, it's because of this thing that I learned earlier that I know how to defeat this monster or whatever it is.
1: Yeah, definitely. I read in the Tome of Annihilation that if I hit this monster in its right shoulder with this certain you know, w- way of doing things, then that's how you beat it. And it, you can kind of fill in that gap. Mm-hmm very cool all right let's kind of move on from all right so we talked about how you start how you begin but these games are typically pretty big there's a lot of cards there's a lot of you know reading to do a lot of things going on so what is your process of finishing one of these games like how do you not get overwhelmed how do you not just just step back and go wow how in the world does this ever get done like tell me your process of going from you know after the beginning and kind of the the magic wears off and you just how do you how do you complete one of these
2: uh, it's definitely a challenge. They're they're very large games. They have lots of different pieces, lots of different pieces that interact with each other. Um, and it's, it's often hard to know when you have enough and when you've finished what you set out to do to begin with. Uh, one major thing that I do and is very important, I feel, is to have a vision document that you start with very early so that you know what it is that you're trying to create and the scope of this game and the story that you're trying to create as well. So this does a couple great things for you. One, you can always go back to it. So if you are in the middle of the story and you feel like you're starting to get lost, what is this thing that I'm trying to create? You can always go back to that vision and see, have you strayed away from your original idea? And if so, is it something that you need to pull yourself back in have you added something new that you think improves the game? But also it lets you see, uh, have I added too much? Am I you know, bloating the game with too much stuff that I wasn't originally planning for? Uh, and then the other big piece of it is if you defined the scope of the game, the scope of the story, you have a pretty clear outline already as to where is the end of the story and where is the end of the game to keep yourself from designing or writing forever, which is absolutely a, uh, a concern. Like if, if I didn't have a, a deadline or a, an original vision document for myself to work with, I could certainly tweak mechanics or edit a story or add new chapters to a story virtually forever. Uh, and it's just about figuring out what is the most concise way to tell that story and knowing when you've completed that job and uh, how to trim some of the fat, so to speak, if you need to.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a really good point. It's really helpful to know where you're going and then figure out how you're going to get there. You know, instead of just starting to drive and just drive wherever you in, you know, figured out It's like no, no, we're gonna to drop to this spot and we're gonna do it in the most efficient way possible or in the best way possible. I think that's a, that's a really good way for, for any game, but especially these giant you know narrative driven games. Mm-hmm. Yeah you
2: definitely want to have
1: a story outline of
2: some kind uh, before you get too far in so that you know what are the major story beats, how big is this story actually? Uh, and then you can try to hit that mark as quickly as possible or as close as possible rather.
1: Yeah, definitely. Now, can you walk me through a little bit of what like one of your vision documents might look like? What like do you sit down and go, okay, one to five players, it to play in sixty minutes. Like, do you kind of go all that all the way down to those kind of things, or is it just kind of more thirty thousand foot level? Like, what is what does one of your documents look like?
2: Yeah, it's a little of both of those things. So I definitely think about player count very early. I think about the playtime of a game or a single session of a game very early. Uh, but also, if it's a campaign game. I think about what is the overall plot? How, how long does it take? Like how many sessions does it take to play through the entire plot? Uh, and if it is that, what are the main story points? What, what are some of the dramatic uh, narrative moments that we're hitting and how does the story progress through those different chapters or whatever, however the, the story is broken up?
1: Yeah, gotcha. Now, do you have any tips or advice as far as tools or different things that you use or you found to work really well for kind of managing all these different things? So I can imagine with like Eldritch Horror, there's fit 11 cards. <laughs> I mean, no telling how many cards, especially all the expansions. Like, how do you keep all those different things organized in a way that, one, that you don't repeat things over and over again, but but two, that you're, you're making sure that everything fits together and everything works and your word counts. Like, do you have any tools that you would use or advice on that?
2: Uh, so I don't really have any... Specific software per se that would do this, um, but in, as far as physical tools, I, I keep a notebook that I write down all of my notes in, so it's all in one place. Uh, and I work with, in in many cases, a cork board or a whiteboard so that I can just kind of draw out my ideas or or sketch up an outline of a story as I need to. In some cases, I've had, you know, various post-it notes with story beats pinned to a, uh, a cork board with, you know, threads running all between all of these different story points, connecting them in different ways that the story could flow. Uh, but in, in terms of how do you keep it organized, I would say you kind of have to find your own method. For me, it's keeping everything in the same place so I can see it all at once. and making sure that all of my notes, all of the actual files that I've written or designed so far are documented and named in such a way that I can find them easily on my computer or in my notebook or wherever they happen to live. uh, Just so I can't lose track of things.
1: Gotcha. All right, let's switch gears just a little bit. Let's talk about Legacy of Dragonholt, which is similar to these games we've been talking about, but also distinctly different. So tell me kind of your process for designing and creating that one.
2: So with Legacy of Dragonholt, um, I started from basically the opposite end of the spectrum, where from where Eldritch starts, which is to say I knew I wanted to tell a story. I knew kind of what I wanted that story to be about, but more so I knew how I wanted the players to interact with the story. And the way that I wanted them to interact with the story was as close to playing an RPG as was possible with a board game, essentially. Um, So I went into it knowing there was going to be lots and lots of text in this there's going to be very few mechanics, only the mechanics that were necessary to get the point across of what this game was and to give the players agency. And I wanted to have the players to be able to create their own characters so they could become a part of the world just like all of the characters that I had created for this story.
1: Yeah, definitely. And and so it kind of it plays out like a choose your own adventure novel in a lot of ways, but with some added things in there. So tell me about kind of the the extra things you added. So it's not just a choose your own adventure novel. Like tell me about the, your your process of adding the extra little mechanisms in there.
2: Yeah. So it it is very similar to a choose your own adventure in that for the most part, you're reading a book and you get to, you know, some point in the story where it's your chance to make a a decision about what is going to happen next. Uh, And you make your decision and you go off in a direction that tells a different story than if you had made a different decision. And as you're making all these decisions, it branches and branches and branches until you've told told your own unique version of this story. Uh, And of course, there's major story beats that it kind of funnels you back into over time. So you're you're hitting some of these main points, but there are definitely uh, divergent paths as you are choosing what to do in the story that can change the outcome of different events or change the outcome of the end of the campaign as a whole. Uh, And then in order to to give players that agency, um, what mechanics do we need in order to make that happen? So the most obvious one and the one that's used the most in the game is simply you get to make a choice. It's a very simple mechanic. You might not even have thought of that as being a mechanic, uh, but it's a story is being told to you and you as a player are getting to choose what is the next paragraph of this story. Do I shoot an arrow at this goblin? Do I run around a corner and hide? Do I cast a magic spell? Uh, So that that is essentially the core mechanic of the system. And like I said, it's, it's so light, you might not even have thought of it as a mechanic. Uh, And then one other piece of it is to add a little bit of tension and a bit of character creation and customization. The characters have a list of skills that they are good at things like um, athletics or uh, using magical runes, or maybe they have alchemy or What are some other ones? We had, like, history was knowledge of history stuff, I think. And all kinds of different stuff. Acrobatics, performance, various things that uh, have a broad scope of different types of skills that your character might uh, be good at doing. And using those skills during your choices in the game uh, was simply either you have the skill or you don't, so they were just binary. There was no dice rolls of any kind in the game. Um, but for instance, if you had the archery skill, you would also then have options to use a bow when you were in combat or at certain other situations that having a bow would be helpful to you in the story. Uh, and when I'm talking about combat here, it's it's all just story. there's no like there's no board, there's no grid or miniatures moving around a, a board of any kind. You're just, Telling a story and essentially telling the game how you're reacting to these different
1: situations. Yeah, very cool. All right, let's switch gears just a little bit. Let's talk about playtesting. I can imagine that playtesting these games is no small task. And so tell me kind of different things you've learned as far as things to do, maybe things not to do when playtesting these kinds of games.
2: So, again, it depends a lot on if the game is focused on mechanics or the story more. So, a game like Eldritch, which is more focused on the mechanics, those are kind of the focus of the playtesting as well. Uh, when we do playtesting for a game like that, we need to make sure that you know the balance of the game is appropriate, that a certain Ancient One isn't just always going to destroy the players, or uh, that the players can't just cakewalk through fighting Cthulhu or something like that. Uh, and then on the other end of the spectrum, something like Dragon Holt, which is so mechanic light, uh, the mechanics themselves can't really break per se. So instead what we're playtesting is the flow of the story and the, uh, options that are available to the players when a situation arises, did the players feel like they had options that they would want to pick as characters? Were there enough options to give enough diversity of choices for the different types of characters that players would want to make? And when they did make a choice, did the resulting text feel appropriate for the character? Did it feel appropriate for the choice that they had made? Uh, and those types of things. So in that case, the testing was very much based on the storytelling itself and much less the mechanics. But then there's a game like Mansions, which is somewhere in between, where both of those things are true. So we're testing, you know, is this finding out about a certain uh, part of the mystery or talking to a certain person or completing some magical ritual difficult enough but not too difficult. And when you're talking to an NPC, do you have the options that you want to have as a player, as a character, when you're part of that story. And do the different options that you pick result in uh, an experience that feels appropriate for how you're playing the game and what you expected to happen?
1: Yeah, definitely. And going back to the Legacy of Dragonhold, I can see where that would just be a, a ton of playtesting to making making sure that there's not a bunch of dead ends or a bunch of like giant gaps, and in, in trying to make all the story connect. And gosh, I can like, did you have a giant tree basically of of all the different choices a player could make, and you had to kind of make sure that the that the branches, so to speak, wrap back around to where they needed to? Like, how in the world did you keep track of just all the different branching narratives in there?
2: Uh, I didn't have one giant tree. Because that would be. Far too far. Wall, you know? <laughs> yeah. uh, but I did have many, many smaller trees uh, yeah. to make sure that every encounter that you can have in the town you know, plays out in the correct order, uh, and the same with each of the, the side quests, making sure that they uh, link together in a proper way. That's about the only part of that game that could mechanically break, was you end up at an entry that you're not supposed to, and at that point, the story doesn't make sense anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, that happened pretty rarely. I was very, very careful about putting that together. Uh, and also the, the software that I was putting that together in uh, is called InDesign. And I, I found some neat tricks in that to help me make sure everything stayed linked together in a way that made sense.
1: Yeah. Very cool. Recently. So I'm, a, I'm an English teacher uh, here in Honduras and I wanted to do a creative project with my 10th graders. And so I had them write their own choose your own adventure stories. And there were these very, very basic, very, very simple things. But even then they they were having trouble, you know, with, with making sure the page numbers lined up and, and the stories worked out. And it, it was just kind of fun to see them work through that creative process. And I, I can't imagine because Dragonhold has several pages and how many, how many pages did Dragonhold turn out to be in the end? Um,
2: the village book itself is i think 120 pages mm-hmm. uh and then there are six quest books which are each at least 20 pages one of them is 40 i believe so yeah. there's there's a lot there's like 300 pages in total of just narrative text with no art or anything it's it's just literally walls of text mm. uh
1: yeah, that's a lot to keep track of. And so well done uh, in that regard. That is no small feat.
2: Uh, something that for people that are, are wanting to get into creating narrative games in a similar vein to a Choose Your Own Adventure or something like Legacy of Dragon Halt, there is a, an, uh, a software called Twine that allows you to create these strung together interactive stories um, and I believe it's free to download and you can just kind of poke around with it once you have it and and create stuff. Um, but it, the output that it creates is essentially an HTML document so that you can play it in a browser window um, where it can display text and display your options. And depending on how good you are at doing a little scripting or a little coding behind the scenes, you can get it to do all kinds of stuff like keep track of choices that players have made previously or it can make die rolls for probabilities of success or different things like that um and then based on all of those different things take you to different places in the story so for instance if you wrote a story that you are talking to an npc in this uh in this twine software you would be able to have it uh keep track of what conversation topics you've already talked to this person about, and it would remove those options from the, the option list of options that you have to talk to this person, so you don't like repeat anything or whatever. And it would be able to know if, oh, you've talked to this person enough now and it's time for me to move on or whatever. So you can do all kinds of really cool stuff with that uh, behind the scenes, but that's for a, a digital platform.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. That's definitely something I'm going to check out. I've been working on kind of a choose your own style of game with some of the things I've been doing at the school. And so just uh, as a way to kind of get students to go through some different things and learn learn some different uh, concepts. So that's definitely something that uh, I'll look into. Let's Let's keep talking about challenges. Now, the three games that we've been talking about. They they tell stories in very different ways. You know, one with Eldritch, it's mostly through cards. With Mansions of Madness, it's it's app driven. So you got a lot going on with the app and this digital medium. And then with Dragonhold, it's mostly through books. And so tell me about some of the challenges you ran into just in these different formats of, of putting narrative out there. I mean, with cards, you have a certain word count. Like you can't go beyond a word count, otherwise, it's not going to throw a card you know, and things like that. So, what were some of the other challenges in these different styles of just different mediums? Uh,
2: so, I mean, word count is actually. A really big one, uh, not just in that the words that you're writing have to be written and thus they take more time uh, for you or whoever it is that is doing the writing, but uh, maybe this is just me having worked for a larger studio. One of the first things I think of is the budget. Uh, how many cards do you have to work with? How many pages can you afford to print in this game? Or in the case of Mansions, how much does it, the app cost to develop, and how much time does it take to put that text in there? Um, so based on—if if your story is based on certain different uh, intellectual properties, for instance, Eldritch Mansions are based on the Lovecraft mythos, uh, but specifically the Arkham Horror IP, which is a, a branch off of the Lovecraft mythos owned by FFG— Staying true to what that IP is and knowing all of the different facets of it is very important. Um, another version of this would be, let's say you're working with something like Lord of the Rings. You can't necessarily just write a story or characters about whatever you want. There are there are things that are known about that world that have to stay true, even in your stories. Uh, and depending on where that source material is coming from, you need to figure out how to uh, make sure it, it all stays cohesive. So something like Lord of the Rings or Star Wars, for instance, there is a, uh, a, a group, a kind of council for each of them, that your stories are being presented to, uh, since you are licensing it from uh, the, the owners of the, that IP. Uh, and they have to make sure that like everything that you've created checks out and follows the, the known story and doesn't contradict anything. Uh, on the other hand, if you are working with known, uh, known IP, you're just making something up for yourself or you own the IP that you're working with, uh, you have a lot more freedom to kind of just write about anything that you want really, but. The the issue there is known IPs tend to have more popularity to them. It's much easier to sell a a Star Wars game than an uh, un- unknown sci-fi setting that I've just made up in my garage setting. Right. Um, so you need to you need to figure out how to create a, a setting that that is going to draw people in, that's going to catch their interest, and give them something to to really chew on. In terms of uh, becoming part of that world themselves.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now, going back to you know working with cards and, and different things, did you do you have templates that you would use for different things just to kind of speed up the process to make it easier, or, or like what would you do as far as because when you got to come up with a whole bunch of cards or a whole bunch of you know text box in the app or a whole bunch of sections in the, the legacy Dragon Hulk book, like tell me about like your process of just you know, efficiency and speeding up any processes that that you can.
2: Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, not just in narrative games, but in any games that have uh, cards or similar sheets, that there's many of these sheets that are the same size or many cards that are the same size and layout. Uh, You can use, so the software that I use is called InDesign, and you can create a template in it so that essentially when you're making a new card, you just, you're using the same template and all you have to do is fill in the name and the text and give it some art and whatever else that card needs on it. Uh, some icons or what have you. Uh, but definitely you you get to make these templates and and figure out what is going to be on your components going forward so that you can do it more efficiently. And all of that kind of happens very early in design for me, um, just kind of figuring out what what is supposed to be on these components and how to lay it out in such a way that is easy to intuit and understand for the players. Uh, and then going forward, you just get to use that same template to make all of the components so that there's consistency and it's much easier for you as a designer.
0: Yeah,
1: definitely. I think, you know, going back to what we're talking about earlier is as far as how long these games take to make, and there's just so much going on, anything you can do to speed up the process, make it more efficient, make it more time effective, uh, I think is definitely something you want to invest in early, uh, because, you know, one little change might save you 10s and 20 and 30 hours uh, of of time over the entire course of the design.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, with InDesign, so master pages are what the template is called that you can use. Um, and they actually update all of the cards that use that same master page automatically. So like, let's say you're three quarters of the way into your project and you've got 400 cards that you've put text into, and suddenly you decide, oh, I want to move the title bar somewhere. You can literally just grab that object on the master page and move it. And it'll just update all of your templates to follow that. So there's a lot of different ways to make the, your process more efficient in the, on the technical side.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, this has been awesome. Nicky, really appreciate your, your time. Do you have any kind of like closing thoughts or like what advice would you give someone who's maybe working on a narrative-driven game or thinking about one? What would you tell
2: them? Listen to your players. Uh, they not only want to play this game, they want to be a part of your story and they want to help tell that story. So listen to them and ask them if they have the options that they want as players, as characters. Uh, did Is there something they wanted to do that they weren't able to do? Is there something they expected to have to do, but you didn't have them do? Different things like that. Just does the story play out in a way that is enjoyable and engaging to them?
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, awesome. Nikki, again, really appreciate your time. Appreciate all the insight and advice on these things. And uh, good luck with all the really cool stuff you got going on with the freelance work and, and the games that are coming out soon and, and in the near future. And good luck with everything else you got going on right now.
2: Yeah, thank you very much.
0: Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding, fulfillment, and warehousing.